Thank you so much for joining us for another message from Sandhill Free Will Baptist Church in Sandusky, Ohio. This podcast you're about to enjoy was given live before the congregation at Sandhill. It is our desire as a church to live Christ to people while loving people to Christ. We pray that this podcast will invigorate and encourage your walk with Christ. It is our steadfast belief that we can still be unwavering in our faith if we hold fast to the absolute truth of God's mighty word. For more sermons like this, as well as additional content, please visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or visit our social media pages on YouTube or Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. It is very simple. The message I want to preach this morning is very simple. And it is something that we all should know, but I think that we forget. And sometimes we need to get back to the basics. Sometimes we just just need to get right back to the beginning uh, of where everything is at. And we can get into all kinds of, um, you know, new thoughts and and, uh, ideas. But this morning, we're just going to talk about the basics. And uh, title title the message just simply the New Testament gospel, the New Testament gospel. You know, every Christian should know what the New Testament gospel is. Amen. But we don't. And and I I think here saying it's not so much we don't. I think it's easy to forget. We, we get we get sidetracked. So just in these few verses we're going to read, I think it really unpacks for us pretty clearly all of the basics of the New Testament gospel. And so we're just going to try to um, spell that out real, real um, plain and clear this morning. Again, you're not going to walk around out of here saying, wow, that was profound. Never heard that before. But I hope you do say I needed that reminder. I needed that reminder this morning. And um, can I say this? Although this is simple, Satan is trying everything he can to tear down what I'm about to preach. Because he wants the gospel to be perverted, right? And so so we need to know what the New Testament gospel is. So if you're able, I ask you to stand. Let's honor God's word. If you're not able, remain seated. That is totally fine. Uh, those of you that are joining us at home, I hope you'll follow along with us in the scripture. Um, <clears throat> we'll start reading with verse 19. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19. having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of jesus amen by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, How about this next part? For he is faithful that promised. Amen. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. 
Let us pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for the service we've had this morning. So thankful for each and every one that has joined us this morning in church. Lord, thankful for all those that are joining us online. And Lord, whether they be online or whether they be present, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of each and every one. And Lord, take this message. Lord, open our eyes. Let us realize how you have spelled out the gospel for us, I pray. Lord, keep me from hindering what you have to say to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So... If you're a Bible reader, you already know this, but let me let me kind of bring you up to speed uh, of where we're at in the Bible. I'm all the time harping on context, so let's let's make sure we got this in context. So we we there's a lot of dispute about who wrote the Book of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote the Book of Hebrews. The, who uh, God didn't let us know, so a lot of speculation, but it doesn't really matter. But the writer of Hebrews clearly is addressing the Jewish people. Okay. Now, the Jewish people have lived for thousands of years under the law, right? They've went to the temple, they've sacrificed the animals, they've lived under Moses' rules, Moses' laws, and that is how they, that's how they related to God. They related to God as someone who is holy and righteous behind a veil that I can never go into, and I'm going to bring my sacrifices and hope it works out, and hope he accepts the high priest, and hope that I make it to heaven, because I have no other way of making it other than just trusting in the law. And they lived that way for thousands of years. Now, they they took their religion very seriously. And the writer of Hebrews begins to tell them, he starts out in the first chapter and he says, you know, there's been all kinds of ways God's been trying to get your attention. And then he argues for nine chapters in the book of Hebrews. And you know what you could really sum up the entire book of of, uh, Hebrews? Jesus is better. Better than the law? Better than Moses? Better than angels? But I mean, he just goes through all these things you think are so great. Jesus is better than that, right? And, and but here's got to understand: the Jewish people they they reverence God. They just wasn't real sure about this Jesus guy, right? And they wanted to go to heaven and they wanted to be right with God. They just wasn't real sure about this Jesus. And, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to them: listen, that was the old way, but now there is a new way, and it is Jesus Christ. That if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go through Jesus Christ. If you don't go through Jesus Christ, you're not going to go to heaven. So the writer of Hebrews is laying all of this out. And I really want you guys to, to, to think with me, get in context with me. The people who were hearing these scriptures, they had their entire, just imagine your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, your great grandma and grandpa, everybody you'd ever known him for thousands of years. The only thing you'd ever known was Moses, the temple and sacrifices and keeping the law and hoping you make it and all of a sudden someone says nope there's a brand new way and it's jesus i was thinking uh not to sidetrack here too much but i was thinking how many of you know that in a baptist church all you have to do is say we have something new and everybody just totally freaks out right i mean anything new has to be something bad right well this writer steps up and says listen what you've been doing for thousands of years got something brand new you ain't gonna do that no more so you can imagine there was a little bit of a little bit of an issue there with him trying to convince them that jesus is better but who can say this morning jesus is better Amen. Who can say Jesus better? Jesus better than the law. Aren't you glad you're not under the law? Aren't you glad we didn't come out this morning and bring a lamb, but we have the lamb of God. Aren't you glad that we're not relying on if we do everything right, we're relying on Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. But you got to understand that's a little bit hard for them to swallow because they've been living for all these years 
according to the law. So we come now to verse 19, kind of uh, hoping that set it in context for you. And then the writer says a couple of things that are really just astonishing. I mean, as I read these, if you really think about how it had to set with the, with the people hearing this, it's, it's kind of astounding. He says, having therefore brethren. Now, we've said this a hundred times. I'll just repeat myself real quick. When you see therefore, it means everything that was before that. So for, for nine chapters now, ten, almost ten chapters, he's been arguing Jesus is better, better than the law. And he says, because of everything I've just said, then he says brethren. So he's re- referring here to those of you who say you believe. Are you with me? Brethren, um, having therefore uh, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. I, I want you guys to understand. Never before, for thousands of years, never had it been heard of, go boldly into God. It was always a something that's far off that you're afraid. They sung this morning, not by coincidence, I didn't tell them to, but they sung about, uh, uh, you know, come out from hiding. You're safe here with me. Uh, the veil's already been taken down. You can walk right. Listen, Jesus knows everything about you. Jesus knows everything you've ever done wrong. Jesus knows everything you did wrong this week. Jesus knows what you did wrong this morning. It's like, it's all out in the open. Just come out of hiding. He saved you. He's, he died for your sins. But can you imagine the shock of him saying, come boldly into the Holy of Holies? Another place in Hebrews, he said, um, um, come boldly before the throne of grace. Just just walk right in there bold. Brother Jacob told us how that when we pray, uh, we prayed in Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit takes up that request to us. And we, we're actually, we, we actually just can talk to God. The Old Testament saints, see, they were used to, oh, we got to be afraid of God and we got to stay away from God and God is behind that veil. And, and when the high priest goes in, I hope the high priest doesn't die and I hope he accepts his sacrifice and I hope my sacrifice was good enough and I hope everything I did was all right. And I hope, hope, and he said, no, come in with boldness. I just want you guys to get this. The gospel gives us boldness to go before God and say, I am righteous. I am holy. Not because I'm good, because of Jesus. That's a brand new thought. Never had they thought about having boldness before. And then he spells it out real clear at the end of verse 19. By the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Listen, this, I said this is basic. I said this is simple. But we forget that sometimes. And if I could just stop right here just for a minute. How many of you sitting here? How many of you sitting here? Sometimes you sit around and think, well, I'm, I don't, I'm not very good. I messed up. I did something I shouldn't have done. I let God down. I failed. I'm just a terrible person. Shame on you. Shame on you. You know why? You know why shame on you? Because what you're saying is that the, the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't matter. It is all up to me if I'm good enough. Well, let me just let you know, you're not good enough. Right. You're not good enough. It is the, listen, if it's not the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. You're going to burn forever. It's either the blood of Jesus or you have no hope. So don't get caught up on, I am good enough to make it. You're not. You never will be. But praise God, we got one that is good enough. The spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the holy son of God. He died for us. And I can boldly come in and say, God, I got, I got a need. And he looks down at me and he says, Oh, I see the blood of Jesus. What can I do for you? Amen. How can I help you? 
Aren't you glad he doesn't look down and see the blood of Gary? Because he'd say, get out of here. Right? But he sees the blood of Jesus. So he said, come in with boldness. And then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, uh, uh, by a new and living way. They didn't have a living way before. They had a law that was dead, a law that was uh, um, was binding them, a law that was a foreshadowing, but a law that could not save them. Paul makes that clear in his writings. The law could never save them, was never given to save them, was never given to live by. So the writer here says of Hebrews, a new and a living way. Now, two things are exciting about that. It's exciting because it's new. It's not like the old law, but it's also exciting because it's living and it's not dead. Amen. Which hath consecrated us. And that is a word that, that means it makes us holy. It sets us apart separate. So as we are uh, acceptable to God through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So again, this is all kind of in language that the Hebrews would have understood. And they've spent all of their life thinking God's behind that veil. And the writer here says now the veil has been taken down through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can go boldly right into Jesus. And then it says, and again, putting this in language that they would have uh, understood, he says, having an high priest over the house of God. Now, they had relied for thousands of years upon a man who they would call the high priest, who they was counting on to go in and make atonement for their sins. And he all of a sudden, wait, wait a minute. No, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. And you no longer need a priest because you got Jesus. And Jesus is your high priest. And the book of Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who has been, uh, uh, can, 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 can relate to us with our infirmities because he went through everything we went through. So we can go to our high priest and he understands because he was a man and he lived through those things. So, so you have a high priest, you can come in with boldness, but then look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. I looked that word up, that, that word true, it is genuine, sincere, real. How many of you know that with the gospel of Jesus Christ at the Sand Hill Church in the day that we're living in, that we need to just be real? Did I get an amen? We need to be real. We don't need to be putting on a, a fake uh, a persona that, that I am something that I am not. We need to be real. And we need to come to a place where we really want to come to church. We really want to learn about the Bible. We really want to be close to God. We really want to live a holy life. We really want to be what God wants us to be. It's not a show. It's not a sham. I'm not one thing at home. It's something different at church. But I am holy because I love Jesus. And, and I am true. I, I'm not fake. I hope there's no one fake here this morning. I hope there's not. But I do fear sometimes there is some fakeness goes on. We try to want to make everybody think we're something we're really not. You know what we really need to be? We need to just be real. We need to just be real. This is who I am. I messed up, but I love Jesus. Amen? So he says with a true heart. But then this word here, I want you to understand again that how this would have uh, set the Jews back when he when he read these words. <clears throat> we believe the Bible, right, by the way? We believe the Bible. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Does that mean what that means? 
See, the Jews had never had that. For thousands of years, they had offered a sacrifice. They had counted on the high priest. They went to the temple. They did everything God said, and I hope it turns out. Now, the writer of Hebrews said, you have Jesus, there's no more hoping for it. You can count on it. You can count on Jesus. Listen, if we can't count on Jesus, we have nothing to count on. He's all we have. We count on Jesus. And he said, you can lay your head down at night and you don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to think. You don't have to wonder about it. You can lay your head down and say, I am going to heaven because of Jesus. If you're, if you're in an accident, if you get a bad report on your health, if you, or if you are dying, you can know you are saved. The book of John said, I, that you might know, I write these things, you might know that you're saved. It is not a, well, we'll see how it turns out. It is not a, well, I think I'm saved. It is not a, well, I don't know if I'm good enough. No, no, no. Jesus gives you full assurance. Full assurance. Listen, there's not a whole lot of ways to interpret that word, by the way. Full assurance means completely you're guaranteed. Yes. Right? Completely you're guaranteed. So, now here's the thing. If you're not saved, then you, then you might not go. But if you're truly, genuinely believing in Jesus, you're saved. You have full assurance. You're, you're going to make it to heaven. And again, it's not about us, but about, but about Jesus. And I want you to understand that when, he, when they said these words to the Jewish people, this again would have just been a shock to them. And then he goes on to use some words that they would kind of put it in language that the Hebrews would have understood. He's trying to give them the New Testament concept with some Old Testament language. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And so that is something they would have related to because he's speaking of of something as their sacrifices. They sprinkled the blood. Another place in Hebrews it says that when you offer the animal sacrifices... Your conscience got to bothering you again, and you had to come back and offer some more. And then, and then you offered some more, and then your conscience got to bothering you, and you had to come back and offer some more. But in, 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 in Hebrews, it said that under this new plan, you don't have to come back again. You get Jesus, you don't need to come back. Your conscience is cleared because you have Jesus. And so he said, uh, um, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Again, just some symbolism there of, of some Old Testament things, trying to get them to understand the new covenant. And then he goes on to say, let us hold fast our profession of our faith without wavering. Boy, we could preach a long time on that, couldn't we? Hold fast. There is a doctrine, I don't have time to preach this morning, there is a doctrine called um, the, the perseverance of the saints. I happen to believe in that, by the way. You know what that means? That means you get saved, you stay saved. <laughs> that seems foreign to some people, but listen, the, there's nothing in the Gospels about get saved, go out and get lost, and be saved, come back and get lost, and get saved, go back out and get lost. Listen, it's not in the Bible. It's not there. It, it, is a, it, is a, it is a, you get saved, your sins are gone, and you live for Jesus. And then it says, without wavering. (laughs) Isn't that good? I don't know if you guys get blessed. I'm really enjoying this. Without wavering. You know what that means? I don't wonder all the time if my sins are gone. I got that settled a long time ago. Listen, Gary messes up. Gary does things he shouldn't do. Gary sins. Boy, if you could know all the things I do that are wrong. I do a lot of things that that I'm ashamed of. But I don't ever think, well, I I wonder if I'm going to heaven. 
because I have, I'm not wavering because I'm not counting on Gary. I'm counting on Jesus. And so he said, hold fast that profession. Hold on that, uh, that, that all the way to the end. Hold on to that profession. Uh, um, you say, preacher, what happens if someone, uh, um, someone who's saved goes back out into the world? Then, then I got a question to was they saved? Right. It, it, see, it isn't a matter of they lost salvation. It, 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 now, I, I do believe, and, and a lot of us here can relate that. I do believe there are those who get saved truly, genuinely saved. Things happen in life, and they stumble for a while. Right. I, I went through that. A lot of us in the church have went through. That. I doubt there's anybody here who hasn't went through that. By the way, most of us after we're saved, there's a time of of that we we may are maybe are staggering around a little bit. But I remember so clearly, there was something in me I could not get away from. And when I was out living a way that God would not be pleased with, I could not get away from it. It was absolutely inside of me. And if you can just walk away from the Lord, then I got a question. Did you really get saved? Amen? So it says, um, um, let's hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Anybody say amen to that? He is faithful that promised. Listen, Jesus died for all of my sins. He is faithful because he told me he paid for my sins. He said if I would believe in him, he would cover all of my sins. And he is faithful. If he's not faithful, I'm in big trouble. If he is faithful, I can have full assurance that I'm saved. Now, that is the gospel. That is the New Testament gospel. Uh, um, that, that is what the Bible says. But then I was really, well, I wasn't surprised. But the way a lot of people think, they, they would be surprised. Again, we're talking about the New Testament gospel. And so, so, uh, the, the, I know I didn't give you the points, uh, I'm not laying out clearly, I'm just kind of trying to preach the Bible, but, but if you want to look at the first point was presenting the gospel. And from verses 19 down to verse, uh, 22, he's just presenting the gospel. He's just spelling out what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be saved, what it is to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is simply presenting the gospel. <clears throat> but then, uh, what does the gospel do? Point number two, what does the gospel do? Isn't the gospel supposed to bring us full forgiveness? Isn't that what the gospel does? Doesn't the gospel give us a desire to live for the Lord? Doesn't the, doesn't the gospel spell out that I'm supposed to be holy because he's holy? Doesn't the, doesn't the gospel present us that if we are Christians, we will live according to the Bible? That is the gospel. That's what the gospel does. So there's a presentation of the gospel that takes away your sins, but then what the gospel does, if you read it in the Bible, it is supposed to clean us up and make us live Christian lives because we are, we are His. We are representing Jesus Christ in the world, and if you understand how vile you were, you're gonna wanna live holy because He's holy. And that is what the gospel does. It's, it's, it's not a real complicated uh, uh, thing. Jesus died for all my sins. If I believe in him, he takes them away. I have full assurance. I can come with boldness. And the, he, the reason I have the gospel is it is to make me holy and to live a, a holy life. Uh, but then, uh, point number three, and, and again, I want you to uh, imagine with me, before I give you point number three, you're a Jewish believer. You've lived for thousands of years. You've never had boldness. You've never had assurance. You've never had confidence. And all of a sudden, this guy says, if you believe in Jesus, you can have confidence, you can have boldness, and you can know your sins are gone. 
That's a pretty big adjustment. Now, as great a news as that is, and he's been trying to tell you for, for nine chapters now, ten and a half, or ten chapters, he's been trying to tell you that Jesus is better. All of a sudden, he comes uh, with verse 24, and he throws something in there that many people think should not be a part of the gospel. Because... You know, you, we can shout hallelujah that Jesus died for our sins. We can shout hallelujah that our sins are gone and we're forgiven. We can shout hallelujah that I get to go to heaven and I know that I get to go to heaven and I have full assurance. We can shout hallelujah and all that's fantastic. And we think that's the end of the gospel. But the writer of Hebrews is presenting a package to uh, the, the Hebrew listeners here. And he said, not only do you have boldness and, and assurance and, and, and all of the things that I've told you, he said, but there's more to the gospel. And I want to I want to say this morning that this part has been perverted greatly in the day we live in. It's been perverted in this church right here. It's been perverted in the church at large. In great part in 2020, this next part has been just left out. But can I tell you, you can't cut and pick and choose which ones you want. You take all of the Bible. Everything it says. So if you say, well, I really agree with verses 19 through 23, but I don't agree with the rest of it. Well, then you're wrong because it's all right. Right. So here's the amazing thing. He actually talks about Jesus Christ and the gospel and forgiveness of sins and all the great things we've talked about. Then he says, still a part of the gospel. Let us consider one another. What does that have to do with anything? It's just me and Jesus. I got saved. I don't need you guys. I don't need you guys. I just need Jesus. Me and Jesus got something worked out. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You'll never find someone with that mentality that live in a good Christian life. They're always messed up. Their doctrine's messed up. Their thinking's messed up. They're, They're messed up in every way. And they say, I don't need Jesus. Well, problem is you just contradicted a big chunk of this right here. Because this is clear. You need the church. And the writer of Hebrews is telling them, consider one another. So what he's saying is, yeah, you're saved. Your sins are gone. You have full assurance. You have boldness. Great. All that is true. But now God's plan is you need a church. You need a church. So point number three, the church is not optional. Can I say it again? The church is not optional. You don't say, well, I got saved. Don't need a church. Don't need people. Just need Jesus. You don't understand your Bible because the Bible plainly says you might as well just cut out the part about your sins being gone because you don't believe the Bible because the Bible clearly says you need the church. You need each other. But the Bible says, so consider one another. Look that word up. You know what it really means? The word consider, we just think about each other. I wonder if Sister Wilma's doing all right. She's been having some problems. I wonder how Sister Georgie's doing. Sister Dot, I wonder how she's doing. I did, we, can, we think about one another. Can I tell you that's what church is? Can I tell you, without that, we're not New Testament? We think about each other. We consider each other. We care about one another. All flawed. We all let one another down. We all have faults. But the truth is, if we want to be a New Testament church, we're going to have to consider one another. We have to think about one another. And then I like this: to provoke unto love and good works. Now that word "provoke," we would typically use that to. Uh, and I looked it up in the Greek, and you know what that word really means? It means exactly what you think it means. You know, Brother Charles stands up here, and I punch him in the face. I just provoked him, right? Right? That's what that's what that that's what that would mean, right? And, and that's how we think. But you know, that's exactly what it means here. 
This word here means to, to irritate, to, to, to really get to someone. So he's, so the writer's kind of turning that word around a little bit. What he's saying is you get into their skin enough where they'll do what's right. Provoke them. Treat them so, who else has said, we're going to treat you so many ways you'll love one of them. Right? You're going to love us one way or the other. Listen, we're going, to, we're going to treat you in such a way that you're going to love us. We're going to provoke you to love. We're going to get anywhere you can't help but love. We're going to provoke you to good works. We're going to have standards. And we're going to have ways of living that when you come here and you fit in, you're going to be loved. You're going to love us. And you're going to want to live right. And you're going to do good works because we're going to consider one another and we're going to provoke one another. Let me say this real clearly and real dogmatically to everyone watching this everyone here. You do not have a New Testament church without that right there. And you do not have the gospel without that. The gospel is, is not just Jesus died for my sins. The gospel is the, the, the New Testament way of living and the New Testament way of living. There, listen, there is no way you can try to have any kind of common sense whatsoever and try to argue that God set up the gospel and left the church out of it. Listen, it's not optional. It is absolutely as important as, as anything that there is in the thing. And, and there's a reason for it. It's the way that God designed it. So we're to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so then he goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So we went through a time when we weren't having any church here. I remember preaching this message when the church was completely empty. There wasn't nobody here. Josh and CJ. That's kind of weird. For saying that there's something, there's not a person here. Right? But here's the thing. We still had church. And you guys are really faithful. And I remember in the days before the virus, we used to talk about those who are only Sunday morning Christians. Right? But listen, we had something Sunday night, Wednesday night. You guys were faithful to it. Can I tell you, that's still church. That's still church. Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's not for you to be doing something else and, and, you know, not even paying attention. It's not for you to click on and make it look like you're there. It is to be, it is church. And when we had those before the virus who only came Sunday morning, we said we knew they were weak. We knew they weren't really connected. We knew they didn't really love the Lord. And can I say it has not changed? We need to be, uh, we need to be engaged on Sunday night and on Wednesday because we are, we need each other. It is the gospel. We need each other. I remember we always used to say, I hope we're heading back towards some normalcy and, and, and helping, with the help of the Lord, we're going to try and head back into some normalcy. But can I just say this? I remember the days when, and I remember this applied to me. I remember when, uh, you know, you, you're out there through the week and you're having a rough week at work and it's tough and everything and you come into the house of the Lord on Wednesday. Anybody remember that? And just that feeling of, ah. Oh. I get my batteries charged. I, I get, I get encouraged. And, and, and listen, you know what a lot of it was? If we were just real, real honest, you know what a lot of it was? It wasn't that the preaching was going to be great. It wasn't the singing was going to be great. You know what it was? I get to see each other. I get to see you. I get to hug you. I get to, I get to fellowship with you. And I go out of here charged up and I can get for another two or three days before I can get back with you again. Now, right now we're not having Wednesday night service, but we still need that charge in the middle of the week. We still need that encouragement from one another. We still need to engage because it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So it is important to go to church. 
Um, I've heard people argue this. Uh, Jeff Jones, most of you know I'm a big Jeff Jones fan. <clears throat> but this makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of people now are saying, uh, it's very, very before the virus ever hit, but a lot of people are saying, um, we don't need Sunday night services. Just cancel those. A lot of churches. That's real, real popular. Actually, if you have Sunday night service, you're kind of a dinosaur because almost nobody has Sunday night services. And the thinking is nobody wants to go to church on Sunday night. I get that. Okay. Some of them aren't even at Wednesday night service. So all they got to have a Sunday morning service. But it says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. But then Jeff Jones says, let's just skip a little bit as you see the day approaching. The closer you get to the end, the more you need to be here. As we get closer and closer, how many of you think we're closer to the end? How many think that, that because we're closer to the end, we ought to have less and less services? This is saying exactly this, that's the opposite, right? This is saying the closer you get to the end, when you look around and it looks like your government's lost its mind, when you look like the world's gone crazy, don't stop having church. That's when you need church more than ever. We need church. We need to be in the house of the Lord because we need each other. And we don't stop. We do it more. And what is more important than church? Boy, I could preach a long time on that, but a lot of people have come to the conclusion there's a lot of things more important than church. You know, whatever you think about this virus, whatever your opinion is on this virus, it seems like the whole entire world is caught up on a virus. What about your soul? What about where you're going to spend eternity? What about standing before the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I, can I make you a promise? If you catch this virus and it takes you to your death, it is no big deal. But when you stand before Jesus Christ, that will be a big deal. And we don't think about that. Oh, I'm not worried about that. I just worry about my health. And we do all of these crazy precautions. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I've been very sympathetic on those who want to be cautious. I have no, uh, quorums with that. If you want to protect yourself, I have no issues with that. And I haven't since it started. And I, I've told everyone, don't criticize those who want to be safe. If that's the way you feel, then you, then you do what you feel. But here's, here's my point I'm trying to get across. We're so concerned about our health. There's very little concern about our soul. That, that blessed preacher in, in uh, North Valley Baptist Church, every time I see that man, he just, just tears my heart out of me. And I hope all of you have watched him by now. But you know what he said? He said, the government's trying, worried about your health, but I'm worried about your soul. And he said, the soul is more important than the flesh. Does everybody here agree with me? It's more important. Look, I got, I got a news flash for you. All of you's gonna die. Some of you soon. Right? I might be first in line. Listen, I, I know I've done live well over half my life, but Charles, I know I don't have that long to go. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to be out of here. But when I get to heaven, it will be forever and ever and ever. I better get that part right because down here is temporary, but over there is permanent. We better get it right. And getting it right is getting Jesus Christ and his gospel right and getting the church right and getting into church and supporting the church and, and being connected with the church because we need a church. And you don't get that your own opinion on that. That's what the God, that's what God said. God said we need the church. So the part that I skipped, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, we're supposed to go to church as the manner of some is. And boy, we could say there's a lot of people who have that manner, not going to church, but exhorting one another. 
I think it's great to come to church here preaching. I think it's great to come to church here singing. That's why we ought to come to church, by the way. We ought to come to church to worship the Lord. We ought to come to church to hear the preacher of God. We ought to come to church to learn about the Bible. All those things that, that we, we have covered that many times. That's why we come to church. But can we all admit sometimes we just need to encourage one another? Sometimes just having a hard time. You know, we worked very, very hard with these surveys and with everything we've done. We worked very, very hard trying to give you guys everything we possibly can to keep this thing, keep you guys spiritually on fire through all of this we're going through. And I understand I've had so many of you tell me over and over and over. I've had so many of you tell us, Pastor, I really appreciate the online, but it ain't the same as in person. It's not the same. And the way we've been having church here, not the same as it used to be. And I'm hoping we I'm hoping we're we're gonna start moving little steps in the right direction and getting past some of that. But here's here's what I'm trying to say. There's something about my son told me this last week. I I got in the car and told my mom, I told his mom, not my mom, his mom. So I about passed out what Josh told me. You ain't gonna believe what Josh told me. Amy's not here to help him. Amy's not here. Make sure we pass this on to her. I'm standing in the parking lot. I'm telling my son, whom I love dearly, and I said, I said, maybe you're not like this, but I said, I need to hug people. I love people and I need to hug them and hold them and, and, and shake hands with them and talk to them. I need that. And he said, I need that too. I need that too. Where's Amy at when I need her? <laughs> See, there's, no, no, I'm, I'm going to step out here a little bit. There are people who you think don't need a hug, they still need a hug. There are people who act like, oh, I don't need nobody, but they still need somebody. Because deep down inside of us, we all have that part that needs to be connected. And I can't explain this, and I ain't about to. My, da- my dad's a professional hugger, by the way. Everybody in church knows that. But there is, can anybody help me here? There's something about when you give someone a hug, and it just feels like your souls connect. And you can't get that anywhere else. But you come here. Sister Velvet walked in this morning, gave me a big old hug, and said, I love you. I felt that when you did that. I felt that. You say, explain. I can't explain it. All I know is I need that, and it is real. And that's what the Bible is saying. We need each other. We need each other. And you can't really live the Christian life. You take this away, you can't live the Christian life. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is just real clear. We exhort one another. We encourage one another. We help one another. So last point, uh, the the... Uh, point number one, uh, presenting the gospel. Point number two, what the gospel does. Point number three, the church is not optional. And I got four points, sorry. I got four points this morning. But I just want to say this, the church is under attack. I'm not even talking about the government. Can I, can I be real, real honest? They're like our least, uh, our least foe. Because we're going to destroy ourselves way before the government ever does it. Amen? Listen, before, before we can have an election and the election can destroy the church, we're going to destroy ourselves from within. And what I mean by that is we've got to go back to the, to the New Testament and we've got to live according to the gospel and according to what God said. Because if we don't, it won't matter what the government says. We're going to destroy ourselves. And what the Bible says is we need each other. We need the gospel. We need Jesus Christ. We need the blood of Jesus. If you don't have it, you're going to go to hell. And if you do have it, you need a church. And that's what the Bible says. And the church is under attack. Do you know how many people there are who say, I don't need a church. I don't need a church. I love the Lord. I, I don't need a church. Well, you're, you're a heretic because you're anti-biblical. See, that's pretty strong words. Well, 
What would you say if I, if I said, what would you guys say if I said, but Charles, I am a Christian, but I don't think anything wrong with adultery. I think that's fine. Would you guys say, well, I still want him to be my pastor. Why would you say that? Because that is anti-biblical. The Bible is clear adultery. Can I just promise you this? I've read this thing once or twice. Can I promise you there's 10 times more in here about the church than there is adultery. You guys would throw me out on my ear if I said I believe in adultery. But if you don't believe in the church, you're okay. Listen, there's 10 times more in here about the church than there is about adultery. What's the point? You can't say I don't need the church to be biblical. Amen. There's apathy towards church. There's a casualness towards church. Me and Renee had this conversation while we were gone. There's a self-righteousness towards church. You know, there are people all over this land that have decided every church I go to, they don't do like I think they should. I'm just too good for church. It'll be just me and Jesus because no church is good enough for me. That's self-righteous animosity towards God's bride. Listen, can I tell you, there are no perfect churches. This church is not perfect. Listen, this church is messed up. And so is every other church I've ever known. But can I tell you, it's God's plan. We need the church. And so when you are so righteous that you don't need a church, you have stepped outside of the Bible. We need the church. Amen. We need each other. We, we're not going to make it without it. And when this whole thing first started, and I don't know who all said it. I think a lot of people said it. And I hope this doesn't apply to any of you. We first started having online services and there was nobody here. And someone said, what if, what if, you know, you can lay in bed, the church starts at 11, I can get up at 10.55, grab me a cup of coffee, sit in my pajamas, and I can watch this thing, it's over by 12, I'm done, get dressed, I got the rest of the day to do what I want. And that is mighty convenient. And then they start having services back in church, that's really inconvenient, because then I got to get up early, I got to shower, I got to get dressed, got to come to church, can't sit in my pajamas, can't drink my coffee, can't be casual, I don't. I got to wait when it's over, it takes me a long time. It's so much more convenient. Listen, this is important. This is important. We can get casual about church. Wednesday night comes on. I'm going to plan a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to have all kinds of things going on. I'm running here. I'm running there doing things. But I'm going to click my phone on so Miguel will think I'm watching, even though I'm actually not paying a bit of attention to what he's saying. See, that's not doing us any good, guys. Not helping at all. We got, we got to say, I got to put everything else aside. This is church. If I came in here in my pajamas and drank my coffee, if I brought my coffee into the church house and had my pajamas on, and I sit there and played on my phone looking at Facebook while Brother Jacob was up here preaching, you guys would run me out of here. It's serious. You say, preacher, are you saying at home? You know, I've heard people say this, and I never did promote it. I thought about it, but I never did promote it. And looking back, I kind of wish I would have. But there were a lot of pastors, you know what they were saying? They were telling their people online, get up. Put your dress clothes on, put everything else away, and you sit and watch church, because this is important. Now, I'm hoping we're going to get back to some more uh, in-person services shortly. But until then, this is still church. This is still church. Amen. I need some amens here. This is still church. And it's still important. Amen. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. 
If you have been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together enliven each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content and programming provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages by visiting our website at www.sandhillfwb.com.